Thank you. Let's take our seats, please. I want to say a thank you to our brother for the welcome that he has given me to your pulpit here in Saintfield today. And uh, I can assure you it's a pleasure for me to be along again to have the opportunity of renewing some fellowship with you in the ministry of the word this morning, then around the Lord's table for a time, and then later in the preaching of the gospel, and I hope the rain stays off. I was at a church a few weeks back, and uh, they had fears of the rain coming on. And I said to the brother that was responsible, what do you do if the rain comes on? He says, you just go on. He says, you know, skin's watertight. So it is. <laughs> so we don't know whether we'll have to prove that or not this afternoon but, or this evening. But let's hope and pray that the weather remains good because these <clears throat> events uh, of the gospel in the open air are proving to be very successful and very, very good. So, lovely to be here. May the Lord bless us richly throughout the day. Now let's come to the Ephesian epistle, please, to the third chapter, and we'll begin our reading at verse number 14. Ephesians chapter 3, commencing at verse 14. This is the second prayer of the Apostle Paul in the Ephesian letter. You'll find the first one in chapter 1. And it deals with different issues entirely than this one does. And I want us to read this prayer together and we'll see the reason why shortly. Paul says, for this cause, and if you want to know the cause, read further up the chapter. I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. Now here's a remarkable statement. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth, and height. Now, when I was at school, which is quite a while ago, things might have changed. They taught us about breadth, length, and height, but not depth. How does that fit in? Well, I think it fits in like this, that in the gospel and in the things of God, there is a breadth and a length, and a height. John 3 and 16 is a remarkable example of that. But no matter 
What it is you may consider. There's always a depth there that's beyond comprehension. Always. I think that's why that's there. And you will notice it doesn't say the breadth, length, depth, and height of anything. It just gives us that measurement. Meaning, of course, that there is that measurement to everything that we come to consider in the word of the Lord. This is a remarkable prayer. Then he prays that they might know something they cannot know. That ye may know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. And then something else that you possibly cannot do. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. I'd love to have time this morning to take you through what these things mean. Now he comes to a great benediction. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Run your eye up to verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly Above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. That's all by way of reading. May the Lord add his blessing to this very remarkable passage of his inspired word. During the course of the week that is gone, friends... I have been looking into the New Testament in particular, searching and, if you like, researching a very, very important theme. That theme is this, the unique abilities of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I have discovered so far Although, like what I mentioned to you already, it's far from the end of the issue. That in the New Testament, 11 unique abilities of Christ are mentioned. Now, of course, there may be others. I haven't found them all maybe as yet. It's wonderful to have a Savior that is able, able to do what we cannot. Therefore, we can confidently come to him in prayer, and we can bring all our wants and wishes and problems and needs to him, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is able. Now this verse that I have read twice with you this morning, verse 20, illustrates the ability of Christ in a remarkable way. But I was greatly struck 
by how the Apostle Paul wrote this. Very often when I come to a verse like this, I'll ask myself the question, had you been the author, of course of which I am not, would you have written it like this? And I came to the conclusion I would not. I would probably have written it something like this. Now unto him that is able to do all that we ask or think. And the rest of the words I probably wouldn't have put in. But also in our New Testament friends and they're well worth searching out. There are what I call biblical pyramids. They're there. They're constructed. They're built. And they're there for your benefit and mine. Here is one of them. Let me show you what I mean. The apostle said, Now unto him that is able to do all that we ask or think. But before the word all, he puts in the word above all that we ask or think. So he can supersede your asking and he can supersede your very thinking. The things that you would think about in your mind that would be beneficial to you, to others, to the fellowship you're in, he's able to do above it. Above all that we ask or think. But even that is not enough. Because Paul says this, he's able to do abundantly above all that we can even ask or think. So you can see the willingness of Christ to answer his people abundantly. That to me is a very, very remarkable thing. But even that won't do the apostle. Because he's got another great word here. And the word is this. He's able to do exceeding abundantly. Above all that we can even ask or think. I was talking to a lady the other day. And she had been brought up. In another religion entirely. And was leaning on men. And she kept telling me. What this man could do. And that man could do. And so on. And I read this to her. I said can any of them beat this. He's able to exceed. He's able to do. Abundantly. He's able to do above. All that we can ask or think. Now do you see why I became so attracted to the abilities of Christ? I would suggest that you look at these in your New Testament when you get time. But the question that now comes to mind in the meeting this morning is this. What sort of issue do you and I need answers to that Christ 
is able to handle. The very first one that I would draw your attention to is simply this. He's able to save any sinner. Now, of course, that's probably the evangelist in me coming out. Because I can never get rid of that. The desire to preach the gospel and the desires to bring others to the Savior. I've been doing that all my life. And you never weary of it. Spurgeon said that whenever he led his first soul to Christ, it was like a young lion when it got its first taste of blood. He cried out, give me more, give me more, give me more. The sad thing is this, that there are many believers today who have never led a soul to Christ. One of the greatest spreaders, if you like, of the gospel that the world has ever seen was a man called Oswald J. Smith. He was the minister of the People's Church in Toronto, which turned out to be the largest missionary supporting church in the world. And he was preaching in London one time at a missionary conference. And he said this, that only 3% of those who profess to know Christ have ever led another to the Savior. Only 3%. I think he's right. I'm not going to do this this morning. I wouldn't dare to do it. But if I were to ask all who have ever led a soul to the Savior in the meeting to put up their hand, I wonder what we would be looking at. Would I be gazing into a desert? One thing in these days that amazes me is this. As I told you already, It's been my privilege to preach at quite a number of these drive-in services. And I think they're an amazing thing. I spoke at one, and I'm just saying this to God be the glory. It's nothing to do with me, for I don't even know who they are. But uh, after the service was over, I met a man on the street in Portadown. This was a week later. And he told me that he and two others had come to a knowledge of the Savior, and he put this in, as they had never seen him or known him before. I had no idea who they were. They heard it all at the drive-in meeting. But what gets me sometimes, and this used to annoy me terribly, whenever I'd be doing gospel tent missions. I love a gospel tent. There's just something special about it. I was telling folks here the other night about a tent mission I held one time away up in Kitty. I met an old guy there. He was a remarkable guy. I could write a book about him. Some of the things he said to me and some of the things he told me. He was a farmer and I called into the yard one day to invite him out to the meeting. Oh, he said, are you the man from the cloth church? 
I'd never heard of a cloth church before, but that's what he called the tent, the cloth church. And he had only two teeth, one here and one there. He said to me one day, do you know what those two teeth are for? I said, you tell me. He said, those are for central eating. (laughs) Have ever you heard of central eating before? You're a real comedian. But these people get affected. And eventually, that man came to the Savior. That's the thrilling issue. But what used to get me at the tent, and maybe at the drive-ins, was this. That people would drive in sometimes in a five-seater, maybe a seven-seater car with one person in it. Could never figure that out. Never could. Is it possible that we can't even find one to bring into the drive-in meeting? That should be soul-searching. I know a dear brother very well. Lives in the Armagh area, and I thank God for him every day I live. He's got this principle. He won't go to a gospel meeting without taking an unsaved person with him, and he never misses. Always has someone to bring in. And I couldn't tell you how many people I have knelt with and pointed to the Savior that this man has brought into the meeting. He told me one day, he says, when I go for sinners, I go for the worst. And he does. Lays hold of the worst characters he can get his hands on. Brings them in. God speaks to them and remarkably saves them. He's able to save any sinner. I wonder do we believe that? It was D.L. Moody, probably one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever known. He was known as the man of a million souls. He had led at least a million to the Savior. And Moody said this, that any man who has a true vision of Calvary and the work of the cross could never talk about hopeless cases. I believe that. God is able to save them also to the uttermost that come unto God by him. In that regard, listen, he's able to do exceeding Abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Oh, may God help us to get out after the lost. Because I honestly believe this, that we're not going to have much longer to do it. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. No doubt about that at all. Now let me go on. He's not only able to bless any sinner, but he's able to use any servant And let me stress the fact, particularly to young believers today in the meeting, if you're here and you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, God bless you. We're so glad you're here. But remember, you're saved to serve. I learned that very young in my Christian experience. I got saved on a Sunday, went with a friend of mine to a meeting on the Saturday night, what do you think? But the preacher didn't turn up. 
And this man in the meeting, and I could have seen him far enough, he looked at us and he said, I think you two young men should take the meeting. I said, I think we should not. <laughs> I wasn't even a week on the way to glory. And that's how we started. But it gave a hunger to get involved that remains there still to this day to serve the Lord and to do it with gladness and singleness of heart. It's a task you never get weary of. Someone has said you can get weary in it. Everyone gets tired from time to time, but you don't weary of it. So young people today, think about getting involved in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's any amount to do. But let's think about the service of Christ for a moment. Because I feel in my heart that believers today are maybe not instructed in the service of Christ as we ought to be. And maybe we don't know enough. Now, in the Ephesian epistle, there are great verses here where Paul is teaching the way of salvation. Do you know, as he does teach the way of salvation, here's what he says. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So salvation is a gracious work of God when you put your faith in the Savior. God will graciously forgive you. But he goes on. Not of works, lest any man should boast. One of these drive-in meetings recently, a lady came behind for a chat, discovered she came from Poland. She rang me up here the other day. She said to me, Harvey, you have me confused utterly. Pray for this lady. She said, I've been steeped in religion, told that I need to go to mass and confession and all the rest. And I need to do good works to get to heaven that Christ did so much and I need to do the rest. And she said, you're telling me that what I have practiced for 40 years is useless. I said, dear, I'm not telling you that. I says, God is. God is. And I quoted to her the words of the Lord Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then she hit me with a hard one. She said, what about Mother Teresa? I said, listen, dear. If good works would get you to heaven, she would be there. There's no doubt about it. But that's not what gets you to heaven. And I quoted her the verse again. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Christ is the way to heaven. Christ plus anything or minus anything is a perverted gospel. The gospel is Christ and Christ is the gospel. I need no other argument. I want no other plea. 
it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. But as a believer in the meeting today, I want you to listen to this. It's verse 9 of chapter 2. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And sadly, and unfortunately in preaching, very often we stop there. And we don't go to the next verse. Now this next verse is probably one of the greatest challenges to the Christian heart and conscience in the whole of the Bible. But here's what Paul wrote. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's what you are as a believer. You're a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. If you go back to the moment when you came as a sinner to Jesus and opened your heart, brought the Savior in and got forgiveness and peace with God and pardon from all your sin, you became the workmanship of God. God was working out something that he had been doing for a very, very long time in your life, talking to you, pleading with you, calling you, revealing to you your sin, making you know your need. And eventually when the moment of contact came, you became a new creature in Christ. And the evidence of that, of course, is all things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. That's perfectly true. But don't stop there. Because he goes on to say this. We are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, you don't work to get to heaven. You work because you're going unto good works. Good works don't start somewhere along the line and then you come to Christ. No, no. You come to Christ first and then the good works begin. Now here's the bit that a lot of believers don't see. Just watch the rest of the verse. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Do you hear what that verse is saying? That there's a program of works for you as a believer. And God has foreordained it in eternity that you should walk in them. Can I be permitted to challenge the meeting this morning again? I wonder if I were to ask Again, the believers to raise their hand who know what the program of works is that God has foreordained that you should walk in them. Wonder what about it now? You say I didn't know that, but you do now. How am I going to find out? Ask, and ye shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. One of the supreme examples that I have come across 
in this regard, I met in Mexico City. That's a long way from here. But I was looking for a man one day in a little cafe who could talk English. Because I didn't know Spanish at all. And the, the people I were with were away with a the mission they were involved. And I didn't know what they were talking about. So I said, look, it was a special missionary meeting. I'm not going. I'll just stay here and walk about. And I fancied something in this little cafe. I didn't know what was said on the board or nothing. And I spoke out. I haven't got a very loud voice, but I did. In the cafe. And I said, anybody here know English? Up on this Scotch tongue, me. I said, good. No, not English, Spanish. Me. And up went this Scotch tongue, and this man came over to me. I got what I wanted. We sat down and we talked. I said, look, what are you doing here? He says, I'm over here working among the children on the streets. I said, good for you. Well, that's what I was there observing the work among the boys and girls. And then he told me this. He says, I was married, had a family. My family finally married and went their way. And he said, it was only after I retired that I discovered that all along God had something for me to do. Didn't find it out for all those years. And then I got down before the Lord, he said, and I said, Lord, what was it you wanted me to do? And the Lord told him. He wanted him to go and work among the wee boys and girls on the streets in Mexico. And he got away there as quick as he could go. And he stayed there until the Lord took him home. You see, it's never too late to be saved. And it's never too late to serve God. And God will show you. He is able to do exceeding abundantly. Above all that we can ask or think. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. That's the real devotion and dedication that the Lord is looking for. It could happen in this meeting this morning. It really could. I can tell you this. There's enough people here in this gathering today to start a real Holy Ghost revival if our lives were really given over to him. It could come, really. You just go home and ask the Lord what he wanted you to do. And he may shock you and surprise you. And your life could become a real channel of blessing. Time doesn't allow me to take that any further. One final thing today. There's others I want to touch, but time doesn't allow me. He can reward or he can crown any saint, any true believer. Now, if you want to look at that, the six crowns, actually, in the New Testament that a believer, there are seven altogether, but there's one of them 
is the status symbol of the child of God, and every believer will have it. And that's the golden crown. It belongs to me because I belong to him. But the other six, I've got to win them to wear them. Now, if you find them in the New Testament, then you'll discover what's needed in order to gain those crowns in eternity. But you know, friends, won't it be a terrible thing to stand before that throne and have no crowns to cast at his feet? Must I empty-handed go? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I meet my Savior's soul? While others are casting their crowns at his feet and crowning him Lord of all, some will have to stand back with no crowns to cast. Because of curless Christian living. I've got to leave that with you because the time is away. But I trust this morning, friends, we'll come to value a little more the uniqueness of Christ. The one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can even ask or think. And these are just a few ways in which we need him. If we can get on with that, there may be others that the Lord will show to you as a believer. Let's bow our heads together, shall we? We pray, Lord, that thou wilt take what has been of thyself today, bury it deeply within our hearts, and anything that's been of man, May it be both forgiven and forgotten. Hear us now. And around thy table, holy Lord, lead us to Calvary. Give us a sweet and blessed time remembering our great Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now we have a closing hymn, friends, for this part of the meeting. It's number 685 in your hymn book. But we have it here, uh, 685. How I praise thee, precious Savior, that thy love laid hold on me. Thou hast saved and cleansed and filled me, that I might or may thy channel be. That's a very suitable hymn for what we've been looking at together. May the Lord bless the singing of it to all of our hearts. Thank you, friend.